Uh, well, we are excited to be back this morning studying in the life of Gideon and taking a look at this Old Testament judge and, and his life and his story and kind of using a little bit of Priscilla Shire's devotional to frame in some of our time. Just to kind of catch us up to speed, if you remember, God's people spent over 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And God had raised up a deliverer named Moses who brought them out of Egypt. And they came to what was to be the promised land. And some spies went in, but they were terrified. The people were afraid to go in and to embrace all that God had. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the desert until a guy named Joshua was the next leader who brought God's people into the promised land. And when they went into the promised land, God was using them in part as an instrument of judgment against the nations of Canaan. They were to clear the land of Canaan. And the first generation that went in and the generation that followed, something happened. Faith failed to be passed from one generation to the next. It says the first generation went in and they were faithful and they were clearing the land and they were doing what God had commanded them to do. But a generation then rose up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And so they started giving God partial obedience, which is really the same as disobedience. And they began to experience the natural consequences of that choice. And so at the time of Gideon, God's people have been ravaged. Gideon and his family, they are regularly, for seven years, they've been ravaged by the Midianites who are destroying their livestock and destroying their crops. God calls an unassuming man named Gideon to rescue his people from their enemies. And he shows up in the most unassuming or ordinary of places because the ordinary is often a disguise for the divine. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to get your Bible out, whether it is a a paper Bible or maybe a digital Bible. Lift your Bible up nice and high this morning and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. I'm so glad that you have your Bible. If you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 11, that's where we're going to kick off this morning. Judges chapter 6, 11. While you're turning there, have you ever been tempted to doubt a word of encouragement that someone has spoken over your life? Somebody said something to you or said something about you, and your immediate thought was to doubt the word of encouragement that they said. I'll be honest and say that I have struggled with this throughout my life, believing the good things that people say about me or accepting an encouraging word about my future. Now, I don't really mean to make you all my personal therapists this morning, but I think a big part of it kind of stems from my childhood. I often felt like the positive things that were spoken about me or about my future didn't seem to match how I felt presently as a child. It didn't match what I was experiencing. I tended to excel academically in school. And so that meant that I had teachers and I had parents and I had adults in in, in the church and they were all like, wow, you're so smart. You're going to do great things and you must be, things must be really great for you. And and all the while, I, I was faced with the present reality that I was this socially outcast nerd. On one hand, everybody was saying these really great things about me and on the other hand, I went to school every day being equally afraid that I would be noticed and that I wouldn't be noticed. 
I was terrified that I would get noticed by the bullies who would have something mean and rude to say about me, that they would push and shove, they would take my things and try to destroy them. And I was equally afraid that no one would notice me at all, that no one would talk to me or even seem to care if I existed. On one hand, there were all these encouraging and kind and powerful words being spoken over my life, and on the other hand, I didn't seem to be experiencing any of that strength or power. I felt weak and defeated. You ever felt that way? Have you ever had trouble accepting the good or encouraging things that have been spoken over your life or over your potential? Because for you, what you heard didn't match what you saw or what you felt. Like maybe you took your kids somewhere and, and somebody came up to you and they were kind of watching you and your children and they were like, wow, your kids are so well behaved. You must be a great parent. And you're like, if you only knew what these demon children did at home and how I am pulling out my hand, this is ridiculous. Maybe somebody has complimented you on, on something you've made. Maybe you make food or an art project or a flower garden and somebody has just praised, wow, that is so beautiful. But for you, you had expectations that were like up here and what you see is down here. And so even though somebody else says, wow, that's beautiful and that's wonderful, you're like, yeah, but it should have been somewhere else. Maybe somebody gushed with thanks and they just, you did something and, and they were like, wow, thank you. That just meant so much to me. And you were like, I didn't even do anything. Why are you acting that way? Sometimes it's hard to receive kind or encouraging words that are spoken to us or about us, especially when our perception of our situation doesn't seem to line up. And this is exactly where Gideon is at the start of his story. And yet something happens in today's passage that I think begins to change his perspective. So if you will join us, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 is where we're going to start. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord's abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If, if now I've found favor in your eyes, Give me a sign that it's really you talking. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside and he prepared a young goat. And from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. And putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, 
Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. The shadow of discouragement has fallen hard on Gideon's life. The Midianites for seven straight years have oppressed God's people and Gideon's family. And so he is living in fear. He's hiding in the shadows of the oak tree, hiding in a wine press to thresh wheat. Now, wheat was normally threshed out in the open on maybe a hillside where the wind would come by because it would help to separate the chaff from the heavier kernels of wheat. And so Gideon is working harder here inside the wine press. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and the angel says to him, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon has all kinds of excuses for why he is not going to believe what the angel has to say. His situation doesn't look like one that has been blessed with the presence of the Lord. And he is the least important member of a small family in a weak clan in Israel. Essentially, he looks back at the angel of the Lord and he says, I don't see God. You say God is with me. I don't see him. You call me mighty warrior, but I'm not mighty. I'm weak. The angel promises Gideon that God truly is with him and that he will have success against his enemies. And so Gideon goes back to prepare a rather large meal and brings it out and sets it underneath the oak tree. And at the angel's instructions, he sets it on a rock and the angel touches it with the tip of his staff, and fire flares from the rock, consuming the meal. Gideon suddenly realizes that he has, in fact, been speaking directly with the angel of the Lord. And his fear now changes directions. It changes from that of a coward who is hiding from his enemies to a man who has just been face-to-face -face with the angel of the Lord and is fearing for his life that he will be struck dead for it. And yet, the angel declares that Gideon can be at peace. The purpose of God's coming was not judgment, but peace. To call something out in Gideon's life that Gideon was not able to see before, and to call him to act on it. And so Gideon builds an altar to worship the Lord that lasts for generations after him. So I want to talk to you this morning about what I think we can get from this story. What I think this story has to teach us this morning. And for one thing, I believe that it is more work to live in fear than it is to live in faith. At least sometimes it's more work to live in fear than it is to live in faith. Gideon is working in a wine press to thresh wheat. He is terrified that the Midianites are going to come and destroy what he has. And so he is hiding in a place where he has to work extra hard. He can't just throw the chaff and the wheat in the air, allow the wind to do the work for him and drop the kernels to the ground. He's having to thresh by hand. Fear can be crippling in our lives. And fear can actually make things more difficult than if we were just to take the hard step that God is calling us to take. I think this is true in so many areas of life, but I especially see this in relationships. Our relationships with one another, and especially sometimes where conflict is involved. See, for most of us, God has placed us in relationships that have the opportunity to honor him. God has called us to be a spouse, and so we have a husband or a wife, and that relationship, God says, is honorable to him. Or, or maybe you've been called to be a parent or a grandparent or a child. 
a sibling, a coworker, a boss, an employee, a neighbor. And in all of these relationships, we have the opportunity to honor God. And the one thing that is true of every relationship with every human being you will ever have is that it will have conflict. And yet so often when we have conflict in some relationship that God has placed us in, our natural default is to run to the wine press. It's to hide from the problem. It's to be like Gideon who God had called him to be out fighting and yet he was in a wine press hiding, working harder than he otherwise may have had to work. We hide from the problem. And we hope that if maybe we can just make it through today, things will magically get better. Maybe we feel like we don't have the strength it takes to work on the relationship or work through the conflict. Or maybe we fear putting our heart out there and nothing improving. Or maybe we fear that the relationship could get worse or even fall apart if we try to work on it. And the reality is sometimes we spend considerably more effort and energy and emotion avoiding what we already know is the direction God would have us to take if we just move forward in faith. Now, there's a definite word of caution in there too, right? There's a difference between faith and insanity. <laughs> Gideon could have just gotten out of the wine press and taken his threshing tool and charged at the camp of Midian, waving it in the air, and it probably wouldn't have gone all that well for him. There are some people in the midst of conflicts who choose to deal with it by saying things like it is and heaping sarcasm onto things or bringing up extra issues, and they, they cause more harm than help to the situation. Being unwise and aggressive will certainly get you killed, but hiding in fear doesn't work either, especially when you already know what God has called you to. You can't be a godly spouse and hide from your husband or hide from your wife. You can't be a godly parent who hides from your kids. You can't be a godly neighbor who avoids the people who live on your block or right next door to you. You can't be a godly coworker and hide from those you see every day. Relationships are scary. Conflict is scary. But as scary as it is to engage with people, the reality is we often work harder to avoid them than it would be just to work through the relationship. And we do this in other areas of our life, too. It's not usually that we're uncertain of what God wants us to do. Gideon could have easily known what God wanted him to do. But the reality is, we hide from what God wants us to do. We know the next step that he might have for us, but it feels scary and it feels uncomfortable. And we work ten times harder than we need to, avoiding what God has, than if we simply engaged with God and acted in faith. The second thing I think we can learn from Gideon's story this morning is to let God and not your circumstances define your identity. The angel calls Gideon a mighty warrior. It's the same phrase that will be used later in the Old Testament story to define King David's mighty men of valor, the men who fight boldly alongside King David. And yet Gideon doesn't feel this way. The Midianites are oppressing his family and the nation of Israel. And Gideon is a nobody from a family of nobodies and a clan of nobodies and an oppressed nation of nobodies. And yet God sees something deeper than Gideon's circumstances. To whom or what do you give permission to define your identity? 
for most people, it's their circumstances in life. It's the job that they work, or the car that they drive, or the clothes that they wear, the house they live in, how much money they have, or how they look, who their friends are, or how many they have, or how healthy or fit they are. And I think sometimes we like to define our life by our, our circumstances because we feel like there's some level of control there. I can control my circumstances to an extent. I could get more schooling and get a better job. I could buy a bigger house. I could go on a diet. I could, I could put myself out there and try to meet some new people. But then again, we get frustrated with the same identities because often they change on us of no fault of our own. We get laid off. We're diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. A friend decides they're going to move away. Somebody rear-ends our car, and they total that car that we loved that defined us. Gideon saw himself as a nobody for both of these reasons. He saw himself as weak. He knew his situation. He was hiding in a wine press, avoiding what God had for him. He saw his own sin and was keenly aware that his choices had led him to his weakness. He also saw himself as weak because of things he couldn't control. His family was small and the Midianites were oppressive. The thing about circumstances, even the ones that we think we control for a while, is that they're fickle. They often change on us seemingly without warning. But God doesn't change. And so the way that he defines you doesn't change. See, God defines you the way that he created you. He created you, Genesis 1.27, to bear his image. Male and female, he created you that your life would bear the image of God, that you would be a mere reflection of who he is. So that when your life was looked at, who you were was a reflection of who God was. Your identity is defined not by your circumstances, but by the God who created you to bear his image. And so when God looks at your life, no matter what you might see in a physical mirror, when God looks at your life, he says, you are beautiful. Because God himself is beautiful. He is the creator of beauty itself. And so when God looks at you, he defines your life, not by the, the failures and the weaknesses and the things you see about yourself, but he says, I define you as my image bearer. I see myself in you. You are beautiful because you bear the image of the one who is beautiful. You are strong. Not because of your circumstances, your failures, or what has happened to you, or the health situation you are in, but because your life bears the image of an omnipotent God. And your life is the ability to represent who he is. Your life is a reflection of value and purpose, because God is all value. And he is not haphazard, but he has a plan. You are inherently good because the god who created you in his image is all goodness and so whatever circumstances have marred that image in your life whatever sin has wrought in your life you at the base root of your identity and who you are are inherently good you are these things because they're how you reflect the image of the god you were created in and so God doesn't define Gideon by his circumstantial weakness. 
neither by his own sinful hiding, nor his physical stature, nor the size of his family and clan that he happens to belong to. And the angel of the Lord looks at Gideon. He says, you are a mighty warrior. Because God sees in Gideon something that he put there. His own image that Gideon bears. The power of God and the potential that is within Gideon. You almost assuredly have circumstances in your life that cause you to doubt the identity that God sees in you. But you are not your circumstances. Who you are is an image bearer of Almighty God. And God may have already placed you in a situation where you have the power to act in a way that would have influence for his kingdom. Don't let your circumstances define you anymore. Don't let your circumstances keep you hiding in fear, not embracing what God is calling you to right where he has placed you. But see yourself according to how God sees you. Good, valuable, beautiful, strong, a mighty warrior for his kingdom. God's calling comes in spite of our sin, not to spite us for our sin. When Gideon gives his offering to the angel and it is consumed by the fire uh, of the angel's staff, Gideon quickly realizes who he's been speaking with this whole time. This isn't just some dream. Gideon isn't going crazy from being overworked and exhaustion. This isn't just a passerby who happens to be spewing nonsense, but Gideon realizes he has been speaking face to face with the angel of the Lord and and his fear changes direction rapidly. A man who is so afraid of Midianite invaders is now afraid that he will be struck down for his own sinfulness in the presence of God's holiness. And yet the angel tells Gideon that he can be at peace. He will not die. I think probably most of us know what Gideon is feeling here. That moment in your life when you know that you aren't where you're supposed to be. You're not living the life that God would have you to live. You are hiding in fear or you are just living in rejection of what it is God would have you to do. And God comes before you and there's a moment where you can clearly see or sense that God is drawing near to you and there's fear. God it can only come here to destroy me. And so our first response is often more hiding as if we hadn't already done enough of that already, when God comes to remind us of his presence in our life, our first response is usually not gratitude, it's fear. If God is showing up in the middle of this mess, he must be ready to deal with me as I deserve. And we readily assume that God's presence must be with intentions of wrath. But in Gideon's life, the angel tells him that the purpose of God's presence is peaceful. God has come not to destroy him for his sinful behavior, but to redeem him out of the depths of his sin. God's desire in your life is not first and foremost to destroy you because your life has failed to perfectly reflect who he is. His desire is that you would allow him to use your life so that he can allow you to more perfectly reflect who he is. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to redeem you. No good parent enjoys disciplining their child for their occasional misdeeds. But I think every parent loves the opportunity to see their children achieve their full potential and success in life. And this is how it is with God. 
even if you've blown it, even if you're in a spot where honestly you know you're not living God's best, you're making choices that are sinful, and, and I don't even have to tell you what they are specifically, you just already know, I'm hiding in a wine press. The natural human reaction is to do what Adam and Eve did, what human beings have always done. When faced with our fear and seeing God's presence, we hide. But God wants you to understand that he sees potential in you. He sees something greater for your life than what you are currently experiencing. And he's placed you where he has you in order to call something out of you that you may not yet see. He's calling you in spite of your sin, not to spite you for your sin. And lastly, this morning, I think we can learn from Gideon's story that you will never see your true potential until you see the power of God displayed in your presence. As long as Gideon is focused on himself and his circumstances, his fears, his own self-preservation, he ain't never going to act in a godly manner. But it is so interesting to see what Gideon does when the angel comes to him. Gideon brings an offering. Gideon's first act of faith in his story is to engage in worship. He doesn't really understand what's going on. He's hiding in fear. This angel is saying things to him that he kind of doubts could possibly be true. And yet he thinks maybe, just maybe, just maybe, there's something to this. And so the very first step of faith that Gideon takes in his story is to engage in worship. The key to seeing God more clearly in your life is to engage him in acts of worship. And it's okay if you're not sure what to do. It's okay if you're not clear on exactly what God wants you to do or if you don't even really see him yet. Because it's often in acts of worship that God shows up. For Gideon, he brings lunch to the angel. Remember, he's hiding in a wine press because he's afraid of someone stealing his livestock and his grain. And so for Gideon to go and to make this lunch from his livestock and from his grain, an ephah of flour being an immense amount of flour, and he brings it and he sets it before the angel, this is the sacrificial gift. He's giving something of great value to Gideon. This morning I'd like to challenge you to take the next step in your faith journey. The next step to allowing your life to be used by God. And here's how it starts. With worship. It starts when you give yourself to God and you open yourself up to seeing Him at work in your life. And worship can take so many forms but one easy way to see it is that when you give God anything that you value, it might be your time, your money, your energy, maybe it's your heart and something like singing or your mind and something like reading scripture. But worship is taking anything that we value and giving it back to God because he's worth it. We worship because he's worth it. And I can't tell you what God will do if you truly take a step towards worship. For Gideon, I highly doubt he knew what was going on in this story. He was just trying to take the next step that seemed logical to see if maybe, just maybe, something was happening here. There's no way I can think he expected the angel of the Lord to lightsaber the lunch that he brought out to him. 
I'm convinced that the reason that so many of us hide in fear and never realize the potential that God has for us is because we have a limited view of God. We fail to see God, and so we fail to see our own potential. And we fail to live out the calling that He has on our lives. Our marriages don't become all they could be. Our parenting skills are lacking. Our relationships with our neighbors never start. Our work life stagnates. We resist serving at church primarily because we just live in fear. And we live in fear either because we've never seen God show up in our lives or because it's been so long that we've all but forgotten it. If you want to see God move in your life in a fresh way, it starts with worship. It starts when you surrender what you hold valuable and give it back to Him. What would happen if men and women of God operated out of faith instead of fear? If our lives were defined by God and not just our present circumstances. The devil's job is to serve as our accuser. To accuse God's people of their sinfulness. To make them fearfully separate from God and what he can do in us and for us and through us. What if we just turned Satan's plan on its head? And rather than shrinking back in fear, hiding and isolating ourselves from God and others, what if we turned towards God in worship? In the midst of Gideon's act of worship, God revealed himself to Gideon. He yanked this man out of his hiding place in the shadows of the winepress. And God reminded Gideon who he really was, a mighty warrior created to reflect the strength of God himself. This morning I believe that God wants to call you to be his mighty warrior. He wants to remind you that sometimes it's more work to live in fear than it is in faith. He wants to remind you that you can let God define your identity. You don't have to allow your circumstances to define you. He wants to remind you that he can still redeem you and use your life in spite of your sin, your doubt, your worries, your failures, and your mistakes. And the key will be those acts of worship or even before you fully understand it, when you don't really get what's going on, you simply draw near to Him, and you allow God to show up in your life. He gives you the confidence to act in faith and to realize the God-given potential that He has placed within you as an image-bearer. And He's calling you to be His mighty warrior for His kingdom. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your beauty and for your strength, for your goodness and your purpose in this world. I thank you that you created us to bear your image, to know you, to be known by you, to be loved by you and to be able to love you in return. And God, just like Gideon had a place in your kingdom, each one of us has a place in your kingdom. You're calling us to be parents, to be co-workers, to be neighbors, to, to have a place within the church, to serve within your kingdom. And God, help us not to hide anymore, being fearful that our circumstances define us, that we could never really do what you have placed before us. But God, help us to see you in us. Help us to see whose image we bear and to know that it is not about our weakness, it is about God's strength. 
Help us not to shrink back and to turn away from you, God, but to engage you, to worship you, because you are worth it, God. And as we see you, give us the boldness and the courage that we will soon see in Gideon's life as he continues to take steps of faithful obedience towards his God. God, be with your people this morning. Encourage and strengthen us. In Jesus' name I pray. This morning, we want to remind you that we are going to continue in worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, there are baskets available as you exit. If you filled out one of those Blue Connect cards uh, to give us your information or to update our directory, you can go ahead and place those in the baskets as well. We'd like to say a quick word of prayer over our offering this morning. Jesus, we thank you for how you are faithful to us in our lives, how you provide for us and take care of our families. And this morning, as an act of worship, Lord, we bring back to you a portion of that to which you have entrusted to us. God, we ask that you would bless the giver and the gift and that you would use it for the furthering of your kingdom this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you will come back and join us next week as we continue our series in Gideon. Invite a friend to join you or to maybe join you online. Go with God and have a great week. God bless.